Amen. That's a wonderful, wonderful uh, hymn of praise. Well, all the hymns we've sung are, are wonderful. It's great that God takes sinners like us and puts songs in our mouths. Isn't that great? Who'd have thought, right? Who'd have thought I would ever be in a church singing? Wow, I wouldn't be found dead in a church. <laughs> Praise God. What else can we say? Turn to First Peter chapter 3 this morning. And we are going to hang out around verses 9 through 14 with a special emphasis on verse 9. And we're going to post-doctoral Christianity today. Okay, Luke chapter 6, this is postgraduate uh, Christianity, uh, what we're being called to today. This is, this is undiluted Christ-likeness in what Peter is going to set before us. And of course, it's rooted in the Lord Jesus' teaching teaching himself. Now, you may remember, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, Peter began addressing us as members of the Christian community. And he listed five adjectives in verse 8. I won't review those. But he, he was directing his exhortation toward the body of Christ while we're in the body of Christ. And But there's going to be a transition that takes place here in chapter 3. And I'll just read verse 8 and then we'll go into verse 9. Verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having sympathy for one another. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate. Be humble-minded. Any church that practices those five uh, will likely prosper. Now, as we begin considering verse 9 today... We will spend a significant amount of time overviewing 9 through 14. I think it's important that we actually follow Peter's logic and reasoning. We often say that about Paul, but Peter has a line of thought also. So we're going to have a long, a lengthy overview of those, of those four or five verses. And then we're going to go back and focus on the exhortations in verse 9. So, Let's read 1 Peter 3, 9 through 14. Follow along with me as we read this. So his list goes on from verse 8. In verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. When we began considering verse 8 a few weeks ago, I indicated that somewhere between verses 8 and 14... Peter shifts his emphasis from how we treat one another in the body of Christ to how we interact with the hostile world in which we live. That transition is beginning to take place here at verse 9. And we are going to have instruction on how we are to interact with unbelievers, especially with those who are hostile toward us because we are Christians. So hostility born toward us because of our association with Jesus Christ. That's where the hostility has come from. We associate with this man, Jesus Christ, and that often, these days, causes a hostility to come back from unbelievers. We're transitioning into that here in chapter 
chapter 3. Now, in Peter's letter, he refers to Christians being reviled or spoken against a number of times. It's one of the themes of this letter. Unbelievers often, in various ways, make insults against us because we are Christians. I did that when I was unconverted. I said, Christians, what's wrong with them? Well, they're Christians, they're just weak people. (laughs) I said that. They're just weak people. That's what they are. Okay? People who need a crutch. That's an insult. Okay? One that I myself gave. So Christians are often reviled, spoken against in a number. In chapter 2, verse 12, we were told that unbelievers speak against us as evildoers. We're the evildoers. <laughs> In chapter 2, 21 through 23, we were reminded that Jesus was reviled, but did not revile in return, and that we ought to walk in his footsteps. Chapter 3, verse 14, we are told that unbelievers will threaten us with various forms of harm that may lead to suffering. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. In chapter 3, verse 16, we are reminded that we will be defamed as evildoers. That is, our good behavior will be called evil. We're there, culturally, quite a bit. Our good behavior is actually now labeled evil. Chapter 4, verse 4, Peter describes unbelievers are those who think it strange that we do not run with them in the same flood of wickedness, speaking evil of you, because we won't party with them any longer. (laughs) We won't party with them any longer and run to those excesses. They say, man, you guys are weird. They're right. We are strange. Compared to the lost world, we are different. Jesus Christ has made us different. That's what conversion does. Amen. I'm glad God made me different, right? Are you, are you thankful? <laughs> that almighty power and grace has made us so different that the world thinks we are strange. Okay, thank you, Lord, right? Don't be ashamed of that. Peter's going to say that. Don't be ashamed. If any of you suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God. In other words, it was almost like a pejorative. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Your Christ-likeness is showing through. So this is a major theme in Peter's letter, isn't it? In 4.14, Peter reminds us, if you are reproached, see, for the name of Christ, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. And verse 9 is going to talk about being blessed here in a moment. Blessed are you. Our association with Christ is the cause of us being reproached. But in such a case, we're really blessed. We're really blessed. So the main subject in verses 9 through 17 is how we are to conduct ourselves under various forms of hostility that comes from unbelievers. Prior to the late 1960s, Christianity in America was generally respected even by most unbelievers. If we crank back to the the late 50s and the early 60s, Christianity was still respected by unbelievers. And people didn't, you know, tag your church or defecate on your church properties and all that kind of stuff. People didn't do that to churches back in the 50s and the early 60s. But that all changed from the late 60s going forward. And in the last two generations, we've been returning to pre-Constantinian conditions. That is, in, you know, in 313 A.D., the emperor Constantine, it was an edict of toleration that now the emperor said, stop persecuting Christians. 
We're going to tolerate them in the empire. And not only that, we're going to make them the one religion. Okay, thank you, Constantine. No, thank you, Constantine. Okay, Uh, we can thank him for something, but we can't thank him for everything that he did. But we can for some. So pre-Constantine, Christians were persecuted, rejected, and and spoken evil of. So we are returning to those pre-Constantinian condition of the first three centuries. We really are. We really, Western Europe and us, we really are returning to those conditions where we are now the ones to be spoken against and treated with contempt. Uh, We're returning to that, and Peter's letter is becoming so real to us. All the things I just described to you, you know that's going on. You probably experience that at times. And Peter is instructing us how to live in those conditions. The conditions that Peter describes were prevalent during those early centuries. And as early Christians learned about Jesus, and they learned about Jesus' life, which Hugo read for us here in our reading this morning, as they learned about Jesus and His teaching and His life, These early Christians expected to be treated in a similar fashion as Jesus taught them. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? They reviled Jesus, they will revile us. And those early Christians, that was normal. They just expected that. Okay, And, And Peter, you know, is now writing to Gentiles, actually. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles in this letter. It's just amazing. Now, Gentiles are being spoken against because they're following this Jewish man, Jesus. It's just amazing. You know, think about that. Those pagan Gentiles that God graciously called and converted us all, and now we're being persecuted because we won't you know, burn the incense and we won't worship and acknowledge the gods of the Greeks or the Romans and and the ills of society are because of us. We hear that today, right? We're We're slowing down progress, brothers and sisters. That's what we are told. Those of us that take our Bible seriously, we're we're the ones who are slowing down progress and that's exactly When the Roman Empire began to crumble, it was the Christians' fault because so many of them were no longer worshiping the gods of Rome that the gods were angered because the Christians were no longer worshiping them. They were the problem for the collapse of the Roman Empire. And we are being treated similarly when we're labeled as those who are resisting the cultural progress. That's the environment in which we live. And you young people, you teenagers and boys and girls, that's the environment you are are going to grow up into uh, as you follow Jesus. But He's worthy of being followed, whatever that environment may be. Well, coming to 9 through 14, as is often the case with Peter, we have relatively brief commands followed by a lot of motivation. And so follow Peter's reasoning with me now in verses 9 through 14. There are three commands, aren't there? Not returning evil for evil, that's one. Or not returning, the verb applies to both, right? Not returning reviling for reviling, that's two. But on the contrary, return a blessing. That's three. Three little commands that are so big. (laughs) So big. These commands are immediately followed by Peter's first motivator. Knowing that you were called to this. There's his first motivation. Now, it's important to understand, this is just a little bit technical, that the to this, that you were called to this, 
is referring backward in the text, not forward. The reason we are not to return evil for evil, but instead blessing, is because we are called to this type of behavior. We're called to do this. That's the reason. That's the motivation to follow these commands because the Lord Himself has called you and me to do this. That's like the coach, right? A good coach can really motivate. Man, I'm using a, a, a sports illustration. I hope I get it right. I'm the least sports guy you ever met. But a good coach can get the, the what are they? The players, the players motivated. And that's exactly what, what Peter is saying. Here's your three commands, knowing what? That you are called to this. Is Christ has called you to practice these three commands. That makes all the difference in the world. That's the first motivator in the text. But Peter follows with a second motivator. We are to not return evil for evil, rather blessing, that you may inherit a blessing. That's the second motivator, that you may inherit a blessing. Boy, that is, how's that going to work? Well, we'll see as we go through the passage. But that's another motivation. Do these three commands. Don't return evil for evil so that you will inherit a blessing. That's the second motivator. Call to it, and God promises you're going to be blessed when you do it. He's a pretty good coach. (laughs) And he appeals to the Old Testament to describe these blessings and their certainty if we obey these commands. The blessing comes in three forms. Let's walk through the text a little bit further. The first blessing is described in verses 10 through 13. Do you desire the blessing of loving life and seeing good days? Look at, look at the text there. I'm, I'm not reading this stuff into the text. You see, verse 9, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see good days. That's the blessing, correct? You want to be blessed with life? You really want to live? He would love life. What? And see good days. That's the blessing. Okay? Well, what? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So that's the first thing, to inherit the blessing. Do that. That's like, don't revile blessing in return. Second thing to do, if you want to be blessed, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Obviously, that's returning good for evil, isn't it? Do that if you want that blessing. If you want to love life and And see good days, let him turn away from evil and do good. Not returning evil for evil. Give a blessing instead. Is turning away from evil and doing good. Third, verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. That's the third thing to do here. To inherit a blessing. Not returning evil for evil, but blessing instead is seeking peace and pursuing it, isn't it? Absolutely. Do you desire the blessing of loving life and seeing good days? Then do these three and you will be blessed. That's what Peter is saying. Do those three and you will be blessed. Now verse 12 mentions another blessing other than love life and good days. Verse 12 mentions yet another blessing for those who do those three things. Listen. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. There's another blessing to motivate us. And those who practice such things are the special objects of God's favor, and He hears their prayers. That's what that means. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. That's an affectionate. That's like mom whose eyes are affectionately upon their little child. That's the idea of that Old Testament expression. 
God takes special loving interest in you. I mean, that's just wonderful. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And what? And His ears are open to their prayers. That's another blessing. Great blessing to do those things. There's more. Verses 13 through 14 mentions a third blessing. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Following what is good in this context is verse 9, right? He's still giving us motivation to obey. Don't return evil for evil. Don't revile in response to reviling. Return a blessing. He's still giving us motivation to do those gigantic commands. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, and here's the third blessing, you are blessed. (laughs) The very fact that you're suffering for righteousness sake is a blessing. That's the third blessing. Third blessing in the passage to motivate us. The very fact that you are bearing hostility because of righteousness' sake, that very condition is a condition of being blessed. And Jesus, of course, taught that so clearly. So that's the third level of blessing. So He's motivating us, you see, by all these blessings that come from tackling those gigantic commands of verse 9. That's, that's what he's doing. He knows how to coach Christians. Peter knows how to do that. And that's what he's doing with us here. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching and example, you immediately recognize Peter is following Jesus and expects all believers to do the same. He's writing to the believers, what? Scattered abroad all over Asia Minor. And he expects them to do the same. Follow Jesus, do the same. Matthew 5.10, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted what? for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.11-12, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Okay, there's the motivation. Peter witnessed all this. You can tell that Peter was with Jesus, can't you? As you read his letter, he was there. He saw Jesus do this every day. Realize that? Peter witnessed what he's telling us to do and what we're reading in Matthew 5. Peter witnessed that in the life of the Lord Jesus day after day after day. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. That's our text in 1 Peter 3, 9. Bless those who curse you, do good, do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So, given this rather lengthy overview of the commands and the motivations to their performance, let's look at them in more detail. So beginning with the don't do this part of the exhortation, there are two prohibitions back there in verse 9. First, not returning evil for evil. That's a general prohibition. The second prohibition refers to a specific evil, doesn't it? Not returning, reviling for reviling. So we got the general principle, don't return evil for evil. And then we got one specific evil, reviling for reviling. You know, you could put a whole long list of evils 
Interesting that Peter chose that one. We'll talk about that more next week. But the general principle, the general command, whatever the evil be, don't return evil in response to it. Whatever the evil is that you experience from someone else, the command is don't respond to it by returning evil yourself. That's the command. I must say, as we launch into this subject, all that needs to be said cannot be said in one message. And and balance comes as we examine the entire passage. And that'll take us a few weeks. But beginning with this first prohibition, not returning evil for evil. Returning evil for evil is as natural as breathing. Some of you are nodding your heads. (laughs) Is that only my experience? (laughs) I'm glad it's not Bill's experience at least. Okay, he he agrees. (laughs) Not returning evil for evil is as natural as breathing. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know that no one has had to teach us to respond in this way. No one has had to teach us to respond in this way as human beings. Parents, It is true that your example will significantly affect your children's behavior. No doubt. I'm not denying that. Okay? And and we have tons of that in our culture where you can tell kids did not have the blessing of even a moderately stable mom and dad. Okay? And no doubt, or, or, or they learned how to return... They became more skilled, let me say it this way, they became more skilled in returning evil for evil by observing their parents, okay? I'm not, I'm not denying any of that, but even if you, you parents here with young kids, even if you were perfect and you never showed your kids an example of returning evil for evil, what do you think your kids would still do? You know what they would still do. They would still return evil for evil. (laughs) Even if they never saw you do that once, they would still return evil for evil. And all the reason I'm saying that is because we are lost and we need someone to save us. We have a sinful, corrupted Human nature, we're born with it. And that human nature returns evil for evil as natural as breathing. And there's only one person that can save us out of that. And you know his name. It's Jesus Christ. He saves us out of that. He forgives us, forgives us, Forgives us, forgives us, okay? (laughs) He forgives us, and then we become His workmanship. He puts His hands on us, and He fashions us into His own image. And then we actually begin to back off on returning evil for evil as He matures us. And His apostle calls us to that. But... Yes, it is so natural and is springing out of our human nature. We're exhorted in 1 Peter 3.9 to abstain from all resentful retaliation. Instead, we are to respond to personal injury and reproach with kindness in word and deed. You know, I feel like punching that guy in the face. And Jesus says, no, you you bless him. No, you, you bless him in some ways. You figure out how to bless him. Let's see. All right, I've been called to this. <laughs> okay, that's when I have to remember. When God says, don't punch him in the face, but you give a blessing instead. At that instant, I have to remember, I'm called to this. The coach talked to me about this in the locker room. He told me, when you get out there in the field, there's going to be some guys that are going to punch you in the face. 
Now what I want you to do is I want you to bless them. I've been called to this. See that? That's how you have to think. Been called to this. Evil done to us is when another person treats us in a way that is evil in the sight of God. Okay? We won't go off on that, but we do need a, a correct definition of good and evil when we engage in these matters. And so what is evil is what God calls as evil. That's what evil is. And uh, nowadays, of course, we're being accused of doing evil to people if we just try to, to correct them. If we just love them enough to say, you know, you know, you keep on that path, you're going to destroy yourself. That's not evil. We might be called evil for doing that, but that's not evil. So good and evil in this conversation has to find its definitions in what God thinks is good and evil. Perhaps the most common form of evil is given in our text to be reviling. But people will treat us with all manner of evil. They will revile us. They will slander us before others. They will lie to us. They will steal from us. They will mistreat us in various ways. They will break their promises to us. Sounds like all kinds of things that I've done. (laughs) They will do all these kinds of things to us. They will threaten to harm us or to harm what is nearest and dearest to us. They may physically assault us. They may oppose and undermine our good pursuits. All of that, all kinds of evil. Hostility against Christians has and continues to take all of all of these forms. But we are not to return evil for evil. We are to be different. Christ calls us to be different. Now it helps to keep in mind that what they do to us is evil. It is a violation of God's commandments. Okay? And God is the one who deals with justice. It's not us. We don't administer justice. That's not on us personally. We should have a government that does. <laughs> and that's their responsibility. But, but not us. We don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. Do not avenge. I mean, we could go into Romans 12, which is really parallel to this. Don't avenge yourselves. No, rather give a blessing. And that takes faith. Faith that justice will be done. And, but that's not our place to administer that justice individually. But it is a violation of God's commandments. A violation of love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord knows this. The Lord knows you are being sinned against. Okay? The Lord knows that. The Lord knows that evil is being committed against His people. And we have to think about that. That helps us. My Heavenly Father knows what's being done to me. He knows that. I can trust in that. He's aware of this. Okay, you can read the Psalms. You see that all often. So it helps to keep those things in mind. But you see, their violation of God's command gives us no just reason to do the same. That's the key. John Brown uh, wrote it this way. The English is a little old. One man's sin cannot procure the privilege for another to sin in kind. I I like that. Yeah, we're, you know, before we're converted, we're procuring all that, we're building up all this privilege. We're procuring all this privilege to use against our neighbor. Well, not, not in God's sight. And so, one man's sin cannot procure the privilege for another to sin in kind. If another has broken his bonds of allegiance to God and love to you, you are not the less still bound to obey God. And, and that is absolutely the case. And uh, we must learn this. I must not seek to injure the one who has injured me. I mean, even saying that is just... Right? I must not seek to injure the one who has injured me. 
The reason these are so high is because these are like Jesus. That's why these are so high. Our standard is not some worldly ethics. Not that all ethics are bad, okay, but our standard... I mean, they don't even try. The world doesn't even try to expect people... The world doesn't expect people to do this. But Jesus expects you and I to do it because He's the powerful enough Savior to enable us to do it. This is all supernatural. This behavior is supernatural behavior. We're not moralist. (laughs) Just with the right set of rules, now go out and do them. (laughs) If that would have ever worked, it would have worked with Israel in the Mosaic Covenant, right? (laughs) The proof that that never works is Israel in the Mosaic Covenant. That's your proof that legislation and moralism ultimately doesn't work. It's the Mosaic Covenant proves that. They had a perfect righteous law. And it's good when we have perfect righteous laws. That's a good thing. But that doesn't turn us into something like this. It's supernatural. I must not seek to ridicule the one who has ridiculed me. Many more examples could be given. You know the principle. The principle is, I must not return evil for evil. I must be the one who stops escalating the cycle of evil by refusing to do evil myself. You see that? That's being what? A peacemaker. You know, we thought, oh, I want to be a peacemaker. Oh, yeah, that sounds so good. Well, here, here's how you start. Don't return evil for evil. No, you want to be a peacemaker? This is where it starts. You want to be a peacemaker? Husbands? Fathers? You want to be a peacemaker in your family? Here's where it starts. Don't return evil for evil in your family. Moms, same thing. You want to be a peacemaker? This is where it starts. Go to work on this. Follow the Lord. Do it there. Do it in your own households. Men, you're the leaders. You probably have more responsibility to set the example that in this household, we are all going to try to obey this command of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to get on our faces before God and ask for help. And when we fail, we're going to ask His forgiveness first. (laughs) We're going to ask His forgiveness, and then we're going to ask for forgiveness to one another. And we know He cleanses us and forgives us. And peacemaking is coming up in this context, okay? That's one one of the commands down here. Let Him seek peace and pursue it. Well, we do that by not, not returning evil, evil for evil. We must be the ones who stop the escalating cycle of evil. And we do that. This is one of the preeminent ways that Christians do that. The second prohibition is not reviling for reviling or insult for insult. And I'll have more to say regarding that next week when we get down to the expression, let him refrain his tongue from evil. We'll we'll get the focus on that when we tackle that exhortation, refraining our tongues for evil. Moving on, we see that our calling is even higher. And I'm going to mention this very briefly because I want to get to the conclusion in with this message, but we might go back to it. But Our calling is even higher. Listen to this. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, the third part, but on the contrary, blessing. (laughs) The calling's even higher, isn't it? We are not simply to refrain from retaliation, but we are to respond to evil that we've received with 
giving a blessing. And that subject makes me feel very small. Peter, Paul, and the Lord Jesus appear like giants. (laughs) They appear like giants regarding these matters. You know, to what degree do any of us even really know what we're talking about in regard to hostilities because we're Christians? We know very little. Regard to our interpersonal hostilities, well, we know quite a bit. But the persecution part of it, which is really Peter's emphasis, is the persecution part of it. We know very little. So we have here, you know, an amazing, even shocking calling. Lord, you are expecting me to do what? (laughs) Yeah. So I'll just say this and skip some of the material. that The best means of not returning evil for evil is to quickly pursue obedience to this command. If I'm pursuing giving of a blessing, I will not be returning evil for evil. So the sooner you push on to do that third part, rather give a blessing, the sooner you'll stop returning evil for evil. I mean, that's the way you've got to think about it. Just push forward, you know, clamp down and figure out, I need to turn blessing. A soft answer, what? Turns away wrath. That's such practical, right? Wrath is coming upon you. You can respond with wrath, evil for evil. Wrath is coming upon you. You can clamp down and go silent or do nothing. That's better. (laughs) But wrath is coming against you. And what? You can respond with a soft answer. See, that's blessing. So, we'll talk more about that as we go forward. Paul is one of those giants towering over us in these matters. His example of following in the Master's steps can be found in Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, and Romans 10, 2. Listen to this. You know, if you went up to Paul, Paul, take your shirt off for me. What are all those scars on your back? Paul, your whole back is scar tissue. Yep. Five times I received 40 minus one. I'm not going to take the time to explain that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Oh, Romans 9.1 I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed for Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Ah. There's the blessing. Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Could you take your shirt off again, Paul, and look at your back again? That's the third part of the command. Bless. Bless. Bless is either words or doing a good deed. And prayer. Jesus said that in the passage. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus even says that. So that's the the height of that calling. God has called all Christians to return good for evil. Brothers and sisters, you have that calling here this morning. You belong to Jesus Christ. You have this calling. And I have this calling. And as we pursue obedience to these commands to return good for evil, we do such with that state of mind, knowing that you were called to this. That's a motivation. Remember the speech in the locker room. Now, what lies at the foundation of this calling is the character of God Himself. And that real Christians have as their Father 
And they, as sons and daughters, begin to display the character of their father. That's what's at the foundation of this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Our calling is to image the heavenly Father. And what he means that you may be sons of the highest doesn't mean that you may become Christians. It means that you may evidence that you belong to the Father. You may evidence that you're sons of the Father. Like Father, like sons and daughters. That's what's at the foundation of all of this. It is a restoration. Now listen to me. It's a restoration of the image of God in us. Got it? We're made in the image of God. We fell into sin. We became fully corrupted. And through Christ, we're a new creation. And we're being created newly back into the image of God. And this is what our God is like. He is a God that returns good for evil. That's what He's like. And the ultimate testimony of that is that cross. There for His enemies. That's what's at the bottom of all of this. A restoration to the image of God our Father. You see that? And you will be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you. That's exciting. If you, ju- you just stop and what God is doing in this plan of salvation and redemption is nothing less than that. And Jesus, of course, is the new Adam. He is the new perfect man. Romans 5. He's the second Adam. The new creation. Back into the perfect image of God. And we have been pulled into this redemption by God. That's what's at the bottom of all of this. Now, just think how much sun and rain has fallen on you as you have been unjust and evil toward God. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? Let me read it again. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends His rain on the just and the unjust. How much sun and rain have you received while you've been evil or behaved evilly? How much, how much rain have you received while you've been behaving unjustly toward God? No, we've received plenty. And I don't know who said this, but it sounds like a Puritan. This is something a Puritan would say, quote, You can bear little from your fellow man because you think God has borne little with you. Ooh. Right? Let me read that again. He said, You can bear little from your fellow man because you think God has borne little with you. But then when you realize more and more how inappropriate your behavior has been in the face of a good God who pours down the rain and the sunshine, for year after year, decade after decade. Yeah. So, let us not think this way, that um, God has borne little with us. Let us remember that 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners. And now you know what every sin is? Every sin is a disrespect of God. Every sin is against Him. Every sin that you and I have committed is an evil committed against God, isn't it? It is! Sin is personal. And every sin is an evil committed against God. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we were full speed ahead, while we were still committing all these evil assaults against God, Christ died for us. While we were doing that, the Father and the Son were preparing for the mission. That's right. Oh, that's right. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Amen. Our salvation and preservation is one massive display of the Lord doing for us what He is calling us to do in relation to others. Got it? Our salvation is a massive display of what the Lord is doing for us that He turns around and now calls us to do to others. That's how the Gospel works. You get the vertical straight, And then you practice the horizontal. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, You are awesome. And uh, some of these things, Father, leave us speechless. And we, as we sang our last song, we we are glorying. We glory in our Redeemer. Father, thank You for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And... Lord, help us not despair. We, we don't despair because we look at You and You're glorious and that You have called us. Lord, this is Your idea. It wasn't ours. You called us to do these things. And thank You for Your footsteps. Thank You for Your example. Thank You for Your presence. Thank You for the promise of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, cause us to cry out to You. We can't do this on our own strength. But we thank You for the awesome demonstration that You have done toward us. We pray in Your Son's name, Father. Amen.